Tonight, this is week three of our Do Not Disturb series, and I want to go ahead and give you the title up front if you're taking notes, and I really do hope that you are, because tonight is a very needed message for this generation. I know that because it's very needed for me over the last week, and I know that it's needed for our generation. Here's the title, The Power of Patience. <laughs> yeah. So somebody was like, oh, you know, somebody knows God has me here for a reason. <laughs> I'm here for a reason for this message. I am an impatient person. I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not going to act like I'm not. The power of patience. Now, I want to tell you this. Before we look at James and go verse by verse through uh, the, the three that we have tonight, the four that we have tonight, being patient, I want you to really think about this. Being patient in today's culture is not popular. I want you to get that out of the way first. It is no longer popular. I don't know when it really was, but it is not popular to be patient in our culture. You say, Daniel, how do you know that? You're saying a lot about the culture. I know that because when you look at our culture, everything is centered on quick, easy, immediate. Everything. Everything. We now have apps that deliver food to our door from any restaurant, from civilians. <laughs> we have Uber where we don't have to wait for a taxi. We can get picked up by a stranger. Our entire lives, our parents said, don't get in the car with strangers, but if they have an Uber sticker, it's okay. <laughs> you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> Why? Because we got to get to where we're going. We got to go quick. We can't wait for the bus. We can't wait for uh, a taxi cab in Memphis. I don't know if those exist. We, we are living in a culture that is all about immediate, 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 immediate. And I did a little bit of studying on patience. Now, I want to give you three things real quick just statistics that were found in an online survey that I think is absolutely hilarious. Here's the first one. Did you know that 96% of Americans will knowingly consume extremely hot food or drink that burns their mouth? 96%. <laughs> now you realize, <laughs> just pause for a moment. <laughs> Roughly, 96% of us in this room will pick up a food item we know is well too hot for our mouths, but because we're so impatient, we'll burn our mouths just to have that satisfaction quicker. <laughs> I want to make a point to you, Cole. Not just Cole, everybody. <laughs> Sounds like he's the most impatient person here. <laughs> no, I want to make a point to you. If we can't be trusted with hot food, there's a whole lot more we can't be trusted with either, Amen. <laughs> 96% of Americans, that's the sermon right there. I mean, you could stop right there. 96% of Americans can't be trusted with hot food or drink. I'm burning their mouths. Here's the next one. Now, I thought this was fascinating as well. More than half hang up the phone after being on hold for one minute or less. <laughs> so that's facts. Get out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a first-time guest, we don't do that. We don't tell people to get out. Just this knucklehead. He's a good guy. The last one, it's not as mind-blowing, but you will know this to be true if you drive. How many of you drive? I'm sure all of us probably in here. 71% of drivers frequently speed well over the limit. <laughs> I know that's nobody in this room. <laughs> None of us. We all drive the speed limit in here. If it says 65, we're going 60 just to be safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know none of these apply to us in here tonight. We're exempt. <laughs> we're the exception tonight. And if I can be transparent with you guys, I am a very impatient person. I find this out anytime technology doesn't do what I want it to do. You ever been there? Last week, my laptop decided to stop working, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. 
I was, uh, you know what it is when you want your device to do something. I kept, I said I was connected to the Wi-Fi and I would try to load an internet page and it wouldn't load and it wouldn't load and it wouldn't load. I call our IT lady here and she's trying to help me and I'm getting so frustrated this laptop. I told my team, I said, if I don't figure this out, I'm going to take this laptop and smash it in half. And, and we do that with things in our life. And I realized, goodness gracious, the week I'm preparing a sermon on patience is the week my laptop chooses to not work and I want to literally break it because it's so frustrating for me. Why? One, I'm a sinful person. We all know that. That's no surprise to anybody. But when we're used to things doing exactly what we want them to do, when we ask and they don't do that, we don't respond well. And I want to say a word to you. In a generation that's surrounded by devices that do whatever we want when we want them to, it's no wonder we don't have that much patience when it comes to God. Because God is not going to operate in the way that our devices will for us. See, our devices allow us to be in control, but God is the one who's going to be in control. It's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for tonight, but that's for somebody tonight. We are impatient people, even when we're in the talking stage, the wonderful talking stage of dating. Even when we're dating, we get so stressed out over the time it takes for someone to respond to a text message or a Snapchat or a DM. Our life feels like it's ending when someone leaves us on red. We are impatient people. Now, here's what I want to show you tonight from James 5. This does not surprise God. He's been dealing with humans far longer than you've been one. (laughs) That's kind of cool. He's been working. He's been patient with us far more than we've been patient with him. And the lack, hear me on this, the lack of patience in our daily lives is bleeding into our spiritual lives. In fact, If I can be honest with you, most of us in here probably believe in prayer. We just don't do it because we dread the time it takes. Bible reading, hear me on this. I've been doing a study on this. Bible reading is so hard for our generation, and here's why. Our brains, you know what they're used to reading outside of school when you have to force yourself and willpower your way through school reading? Most of the time, our brains are used to reading four or five sentence text messages. Read it, five sentences, put the phone down. Read it, three sentences, put the phone down. We're used to reading captions that are no longer, even the View Memphis account, when I was working with that account for a while, there's a certain limit. You want to keep those captions, otherwise you lose people's attention. We're used to reading things that are very limited. So when your mind, PJ, is so used to just reading captions and four or five sentence text messages at the most, no wonder it's hard for this generation to open up the Bible and read more than 20 verses without losing interest. We are living in a biblically illiterate generation. We are living in a generation of believers that don't know God's word. And if we don't know the word of God, we're gonna have a hard time knowing the God of the word. So I believe that this is very timely for our generation and for where we are as a ministry as well. I wanna tell you, prayer requires patience. Bible reading requires patience. And what I found over the last week is that an impatient heart is not a Christ-pursuing heart. Quite simply put, an impatient heart is not a Christ-pursuing heart. In fact, I want to show you before we get to our main text, Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. A beautiful verse says, I waited for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the, out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. I want to tell you something. Not only will patience reveal the power of Christ. Listen to me. Patience for Christ reveals to you the power of Christ. Not only that, but I want to tell you, when you're willing to wait on God, that means you are willing to rely on God. It does. 
If you're willing to wait on God, that means you're relying on God. And in fact, to say it in another way that's even more clear, our sermon in a sentence, Dakota did it last week, knocked it out of the park. Our sermon in a sentence is this tonight. How patient you are for God is a good measure of how dependent you are on God. All night long, we're going to talk about dependence and how that comes out with our patience. If you want to know how much you're really relying and dependent on God, ask yourself, are you willing to be patient? Now look with me at James chapter 5. We're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about who he's actually talking to in his era of Jewish culture because he has a Jewish audience. Look with me at verse 7 of chapter 5. It begins with therefore. We're going to come back to verses 1 and 6 and see why that therefore is there. Four. So, <laughs> actually, I've heard that before, but I didn't mean to do that. But I've heard Southern Baptist preachers do it. I'll move on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. I'll read just the first part again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. James is giving an illustration. Don't tell me illustrations aren't biblical. He gives one. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Verse 8, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Will you pray with me before we jump into it? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are sitting in your presence tonight. Lord, your word says we're two or three are gathered in your name. You are there amongst them. And God, we believe you are with us tonight, that we, we are desiring to draw near to you in a real way, in a relationship way, not just about religion or checking boxes, Lord, but we're really drawing near to you tonight, God. We're drawing near to you. Who cares what I have to say? Would you speak to us from your word? Father, we know that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So God, you are close to us right now. God, I know that there's students in here who feel like you are far away. I pray, God, that you would show them you are close, but it's sometimes our hearts that get far away from you. So Lord, we ask tonight that you would save somebody in this room who maybe doesn't know you the way that, um, the way that we do, Lord. We pray that you would save somebody. And God, we pray that you would have every word to say tonight. Lord, encourage us and convict us. And all, all of it in between, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, number one, patience shows dependence. I told you very, very clear. I want you, I want you to understand this. Patience shows dependence. Now, we're just going to have a conversation tonight. We're just talking about this. Do you know who James is writing to? Do you know who he's writing to and why he's writing to them? Some of you do. Some of you don't. This is very, very important because James is communicating something specific to a specific audience. And oftentimes when we read the Bible, we want to jump straight to what's he saying to me. No, 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 no. What is he saying to the person and the people group of that time? Because understanding that is going to help our application to us today. Now, you have to understand James is speaking. He's addressing. Watch this, because it's different than us today. He's addressing poor believers. His audience is largely Jewish, and they are largely poor believers. They don't have a lot of money, and they're enduring persecution. In fact, right before these verses, verses 1 to 6, I told you we were going to come back to, he addresses 
the rich, and he gives a warning to them. Look just in your Bible, six verses earlier. Look what came right before this. He says in verse 1, Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh <coughs> excuse me, like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. How many of you know that when you cry out to God, that cry reaches his ears? Amen? Are you with me? When you cry out to the Lord, when Israel cried out to the Lord, repenting of its sin, saying, God, we are sinners, the Lord heard their cry. And every time they repented, God restored them. You know, some of you are in a mess tonight. I'm not, I'm not going to not acknowledge it. I don't know what it is. But a lot of you walk through those doors tonight in a mess. You know what that mess is? It's called sin. A lot of you are involved in sin that is ruining your life. And if you think you might not be, you have to ask the question, is there any pride involved that might be ruining my spiritual walk? Because pride is the hardest sin to identify sometimes. Why? Because we're so prideful, we never think that it was us that struggles with pride. <laughs> like, of course, I'm not prideful. I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're in a mess, if you cry out, not to me, <laughs> but to the Lord, not to your friends, they're great accountability partners, it's great to talk to them, but if you cried out and repented to the Lord, I guarantee you he would restore you from that sin. Repentance leads to restoration. Look at what else he says in verse five. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Verse six, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. So I want you to understand, students, when he says brothers and sisters, when he turns to them in our verse, verse seven, when he turns to them and tells them to be patient and wait for the Lord, he's telling them to be patient in the middle of chaos. He's telling them to be patient in the middle of having family members killed, persecuted over their belief in Jesus Christ, poor, not having the luxuries that the rich have of the world. You know, sometimes you see lost people living luxuriously in the world, having everything that they could ask for, all the money and the fame and the drugs and, and all the social media influence. You see people obtain those things. And how many of those people get all of it and then say, it was never enough to fill the hole in my heart? You've heard it all through history, all through history. He's telling them to be patient in the midst of that persecution, having their families killed. So when you think about it, guys, his exhortation carries a whole lot of more weight to them than it probably does to you and me the first time hearing it. He's telling them to be patient and that the Lord is coming and that they don't have to worry that family members are being killed, that they, don't, that they are poor. They don't have to worry. They get to be patient because the Lord is coming. Most of all, those early believers probably in their flesh wanted revenge. Has anybody ever done you wrong before? You don't have to raise your hand. Keep them down. Just think. Has anybody ever done you wrong before? Or have you lived a perfect life? If nobody has, don't worry. Give it a little bit longer. Keep breathing. <laughs> Keep breathing. We live in a sinful world. Somebody will do you wrong. I've had people do me wrong. When somebody does you wrong, the temptation for revenge, the temptation to get even is a whole lot different than other temptations, is it not? <laughs> oh, it is. If you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been betrayed, if you've ever been beaten down or broken over a situation, 
It's hard to resist the temptation for revenge. It's hard to resist the temptation to just hate that person. You know that Jesus said, love your enemies, but you're like, Jesus, did you mean that one too? (laughs) Jesus, you don't know what they did to me. Jesus, it's time for you to come down and have revenge on them. If you don't, I'm going to do it. And that's what we say in our hearts a lot of times. Can you imagine to them having family members killed over their faith and being poor and seeing the rich, the lost, flourish in the world on worldly standards? Can you imagine? I'm sure their flesh wanted revenge. I would. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, don't worry. Be patient. The Lord is coming. He is the one. And this verse right here in Romans 12, 9 is so good. I want to put it on the screen. Here it is right here. If you've ever been wrong, uh, look at this. I may have put the wrong reference. Let me, let me turn to my Romans real quick. The old school way before we had slides and all this 2000 stuff. I guess they had slides in the 90s. Was it Romans 12, 9? Maybe they had it. I'll put the wrong reference in my note. I put 12, 9. This is the verse. If somebody finds what verse this is, I think I may have done 9, 12 backwards. Here's the verse. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Hannah, find out what that reference is for me. I'm putting a lot of my wife right here on the spot. Friends, do not, and Bellevue may find it for me too. Friends, but I want you to have the reference for this. I wrote it down wrong in my notes, and that's why it's wrong on the screen. It's my fault, not theirs. But it says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Once she finds that out, I'm going to let you know. Now, when you think about that, what is it? 1219? Anybody there? We got time. He's there, obviously. <laughs> I don't trust Paul. <laughs> like, he's, he said 12 nines. Anybody else there, though? <laughs> it is. It's Romans. I'm glad I was able to get this right. Romans 1219. I want you to write that down. If you've been wronged, and you've ever wanted revenge. I know none of us have. In reality, we have. Romans 12, 19. I left out the one. <laughs> Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, when you think about our lives in 2021 in America, we have hurt. We have brokenness. We have pain. We have hardships. We have trials. I know we do. You may have walked in tonight and your family is going through a divorce or you've been, you know, you've been through all kinds of stuff. So I can't imagine what some of you have been through. I've been through some stuff in my life and we do, it's hard. But for us in 2021 as believers in America, I'm gonna say something, I don't want you to get mad at me. Sometimes it's hard for us to relate to the early believers because nobody right now is coming in here trying to tell us that we can't worship and do this. When you go home, you're not necessarily worried about one of your family members being killed over the name of Jesus. Could it happen? Yes, but we don't face that kind of persecution today. In fact, most of us, not all of us, and I want to be sensitive to those in the room who don't, most of us are not worried about what clothes we're going to wear tomorrow because we have so, so many. We have an overload of clothes. My closet has so many Nike t-shirts. Why? Most of us Not all, and I'm sensitive to that in the room, but most of us are not worried about what we're going to eat for dinner tonight. We're not worried about a shelter over our head. We, We are blessed beyond belief. We have so many things. There are believers in this room who have families that literally have discipled you, taught you the word, taught you how to memorize scripture, have given you all the tools. Literally, I want to say something to you. I don't want you to be mad at me, but if you are, I've got to deal with it. We are so blessed 
to how we live today that many of us could be surrounded in a field of blessings and still find ways to complain. I know you don't like me. That's okay. I'm one of you, though, because I complain too. We have clothes. We have food. We have shelter. We have families. We have this space to worship and pray and be together. And yet most of the time as believers, we go throughout our day complaining over stuff that does not matter. And worse of all, we complain about other children of God to other children of God. That's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for. Maybe it's for me. But that's called gossip, and it's sin. And I'm being firm with you because gossip ruins the church. Gossip tears apart unity. Where there is disunity, a fully unified God does not come and get involved the way you want him to because he doesn't get involved where there's disunity because he operates in a completely unified realm. So when we as believers live in disunity, we are disinviting God to be involved in our circumstances. Isn't that crazy? That's why here at The View, we talk so much about creating an environment where we allow the Spirit of God to move through us, where when people walk through those doors, they experience a supernatural love, not a superficial love. Because I just told a group of seniors this last night, and I know this is for somebody. When I was in the ninth grade, I went to a church, just like a lot of you did, and I went to a high school worship service, and I was a ninth grader, and I was very influenced by the world, and I was living in sin and struggling with all these things. It was my own fault for not walking with the Lord. But when I got to that worship service, and I walked in, and I sat down, I saw these students on stage worshiping the Lord. And I was like, that's so cool. They got their hands up. They're singing, you know. I told the group last night, it wasn't Waymaker. This was 10 years ago. So it was a God of wonders beyond our galaxy. Remember that song? You remember it? You are holy, <laughs> holy. It was all throwback. It wasn't Waymaker. <laughs> <clears throat> Y'all laugh, but it wasn't terrible, right? <laughs> it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it was bad, but it wasn't terrible. <clears throat> I'm like, my voice is giving out now. <laughs> it's like the Lord saying, Daniel, you know. I, uh, I've watched these students. And for anyone who leads worship here at The View, this is a great word for you, too, for any of us. As a ninth grader, I saw these students lead worship. Hands up, God of wonder. You are holy. And then I would watch them walk off the stage. Don't tell me it doesn't happen here at college ministry, too. Walk off the stage and immediately start talking bad about every single person in that crowd that they were just leading in worship. What you think I felt as a ninth grader? I'll tell you what I felt. I said, I don't want none of this. I don't want anything to do with the church. It's my own fault for being selfish and stupid. I got to remember, it's not somebody else's faith is mine, but I said, I don't want nothing to do with the church. You know what? When people come into the view and they witness hypocrisy like that, do you think they really want any part of the church? Do you? No. That's why when you come in these doors and when you're out there in the world, me too, that's why it's so important to be filled with the Spirit of God because it doesn't matter how much you know up here religiously or biblically, the Pharisees knew a whole lot too and they still were dirty on the inside but clean on the outside. 
doesn't matter how much you know if you and I are not willing to live it out with gentleness and with love and with patience and with self-control, we can keep people from seeing the light of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you gotta be perfect. We can't till we get to heaven. But we cannot live as hypocrites in this church. I don't know who that was for. That's for me tonight. But we can't, yes, complaining. We cannot gossip and complain about others. In fact, what I love is, Right after verse eight, James says this, verse nine. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Isn't that incredible? Right after, Burge, the, the verse on patience, he says, brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Patience, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Patience shows dependence on God but complaining leads you to making demands of God. That's the difference between being dependent on God and making demands of God. So when we read James' words on patience, they often don't carry the same weight to us as they did to those early believers. Some of those early believers would probably laugh at us. They were told, can you imagine? They were told to be patient in the midst of persecution. And for a lot of us in 2021, we hate when God tells us to be patient in the middle of singleness. <laughs> oh, man, Lord, mm, I love the Lord. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. I'll obey. I'll say yes. But if he makes me wait one more year for a boyfriend or girlfriend, I've had it. <laughs> I'm stepping out on my own, God. We put God on a timetable. God, you've got a year. <laughs> Bring me a boyfriend or a girlfriend in a year, or I'm gonna start taking matters into my own hands. You know how arrogant that sounds? And we don't say that out loud, but we say it in our heart. And we say it with our actions. They're, they're told to be patient in the middle of persecution. I wanna tell you, patience really at its core is a sign of trust. When you're willing to wait on the Lord, it's showing that you're willing to trust God. You're willing to say, hey, all these voices in my life that I have that are great voices and great people to pour into my life, but I'm willing to wait to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to tell you, God's delay on your prayer request does not always mean he has denied your prayer request. It does not. Just because God has not answered your prayers your way doesn't mean he hasn't answered your prayers his way. <laughs> A delay does not mean denied, but God is going to operate on his own timing. In fact, Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. And then it says, he will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage, 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 oh, it's hard to say for me. God bless you. Thank you for distracting my bad pronunciation. Remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. I want to tell you something. Amazon Prime is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing for me. Amazon Prime is a dangerous thing, guys. We live in a generation where we have access to literally anything we want like that. Dakota talked about badminton last week. I want you to understand, we had one thought about baptism, and next thing I know, there's a box on my doorstep with a full badminton set ready to be played with because of Amazon Prime. It took me 10 seconds to pull up a set and order it off as Amazon Prime. My wife, I love her. She loves Amazon Prime. <laughs> and sometimes boxes just show up. 
They just keep showing up, and I don't know why. It's really me to blame, not her, but they just keep showing up. And I want to tell you something. Amazon Prime is dangerous, and here's why. One of the most dangerous things about Amazon Prime is that a few years ago, Avery, they added something. They added a, and you've seen this. I know you have, a buy with one click button. Have you seen that? Woo! <laughs> That's a dangerous thing. It's like putting a hungry man in the middle of a wilderness with a loaded gun and a bunch of deer. <laughs> He's going, boom, 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 just going to start trying to find something. Like, buy. That was a terrible illustration. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't have anything in my notes. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> oh, man. Whew. We're having fun tonight. We're having fun tonight. But literally, Amazon Prime is genius for this because they have a buy with one click option. What they did is they made it as easy as possible for you to spend money. <laughs> They've taken away as many steps as they can. I mean, really think about it, Victoria. They've taken away as many steps as possible to make it easier for you to make a purchase. They said, hey, if we can strip away all the extra steps they have to go through and just give them a button, all they have to do is click it. It's on their doorstep tomorrow, maybe tonight. We're going to pull them all in. And, and what does our generation do? We love it. We have knickknacks and toys and almost bought a Captain America shield the other day just because it was on Amazon Prime. <laughs> like, like, I'm literally trying to justify it to my wife. I was like, baby, you know, I could walk around the office with it. <laughs> no, just because it's on Amazon Prime. And you see it in my office, you know that I caved. But we love it. And here's why. It, it plays into the culture. It's two things. It's easy and it's immediate. It's easy and it's immediate. And you know what? When something is easy and immediate, watch this. It puts you and I in the most control we can be in. You are never more in control than when you're sitting there Buy with one click button. I want to say something to you, and this will be on the screen. Here it is. Often, we don't seek God simply because he won't operate in the one click style we want him to. <laughs> I, want, I don't want you to be mad at me, but oftentimes we turn to whatever is easy and immediate because we know God is not going to do a one click option. He doesn't operate the way that we want him to. Why pray about something? And wait for God to answer us when I can call my boyfriend or my girlfriend and get an answer from them immediately. Why wait for God to answer me on a life decision when I can buy with one click, when I can make this decision, when everything in our culture is quick and easy? Guys, just because something is quick and easy does not mean it's right. In fact, most times that's exactly how sin is. <laughs> it's quick and easy. It's a shortcut. Sin is a shortcut. <laughs> God has said that sex, here we go, this ain't in my notes, this is somebody. God has said that sex is valuable, it's precious, and it's made for marriage, which means there is a time period in your life where you wait to meet that need. But as believers, we want what's quick and what's immediate and what's easy. So we take a shortcut. We meet a good need in a bad, immediate way. That's what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. Everything you have is good needs, and sin is where you meet it in a bad, immediate, ungodly way. Your desire to have intimacy, you know what? It takes time and energy and effort to build and to grow in a relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. You learn how to read the word. You learn how to pray. You learn how to memorize scripture and store up his word in your heart because once you get the word in you, the word starts flowing out of you. It takes time. But why sit here and focus on scripture and read a book that's thousands of years old? Why do that when I can just get on Instagram and immediately receive the affirmation and the, the compliments about myself that I'm looking for anyway? Why? One takes time, energy, discipline, patience, 
And you know what? The other thing is, you get on social media, it's going to tell you everything you want to hear. <laughs> a lot of times you open this up, it tells you what you don't want to hear. <laughs> you open up social media, you get what your flesh wants. You open up the Bible, you get what your flesh needs. <laughs> and we don't want to open up the Bible, man. We don't want to go to it. Why? Well, it hurts. It hurts because God is calling us to repentance. He's calling you out of that sin. I don't know what it is for you. But what I know is that he's calling you out of it. And what's amazing is when you repent, I know you're going through something. When you repent and you're willing to be patient and you're willing to trust God, he comes through for you. Fellas, y'all with me? You guys with me over there? Yes, sir. That's what I'm talking about. Be patient. And you're willing to wait for the Lord. Look with me at James 5. God bless you. That one was a little rough. <laughs> I'm just playing. Be patient until the Lord's coming. I want you to understand something here. Underline, underline that in your Bible, if you will. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. Now, this is absolutely a reference to the second coming of Jesus. But even more so than that, the Lord is coming as a reference. Watch this. To divine intervention into human circumstances. What that means is, what's so incredible about that is that means God gets involved in your situation. When it says that the Lord is coming, it means that the Lord is coming to literally get involved in your situation. Let me ask you a question for real. How many of you, and answer this, don't raise your hand if it's not yes. Like, that's okay. <laughs> but how many of you want the God of the universe to get involved in your circumstances? Maybe you don't. Maybe you think you're good. <laughs> Maybe you think you've got it. <laughs> Why get God involved? Because you're all-knowing and you're all-righteous and you can handle it yourself. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> you don't have to teach a child to disobey or to hurt somebody on a playground. They do it. You don't have to teach you and me to sin. We are sinful people. And we need the Lord. We need God to get involved. And James says, hey, if you really want God to get involved in your circumstances, it means you wait for him to come and get involved. And that's an incredible thing. And right now, as you're in college, a lot of you are making Critical life decisions. You're making decisions over school, what to study, what to major in, what you're going to do with your career, what you're going to do with your job. You're making decisions over who to marry, what kind of person you want to marry, what kind of person you're going to be praying for. You're making all these life decisions. I want to ask you a question. I'm serious about this. When you make decisions in your life, do you ever get God involved or is it just you going at it alone? I'm serious. Does God have not just a seat at your table, but is he the head of your table? Does he have any say in your life decisions and in what God is doing in your life? Does he have a say in that? Or is it just you going at it alone? Because I gotta tell you, why would you not want the all-knowing Lord of the universe involved in your decision-making? Is that not the most arrogant way of thinking? It is, but we do it all the time. We make rash, emotional decisions about our life and about people and about friends and about dating, and we haven't even taken time to get God involved. You'll never trust God with your future if you're not willing to trust him with your present. <laughs> you can't trust God with tomorrow if you can't trust him with today. You're going to struggle. I want to tell you, if you really believe that Jesus is going to bring you to heaven for all eternity, if you're willing to trust him with your soul, how can you not trust him with your schedule? I think I want God involved. I'm a sinful human being. I struggle in every way imaginable just like you do. I am not all-knowing. I am very little-knowing. 
And because I'm very little knowing, I want the God who's all knowing involved in my decision making. <laughs> Even if it's small, what cereal to buy that day? I don't know, Lord, show me. Probably the healthier option. <laughs> I don't know if that'll actually happen for you. It might. You might be going to get Captain Crunch and the Spirit go, you know, I don't know. I want God involved in my decision-making. I want God to make the decisions for me because he is my Lord. And you know what? If you're claiming to know Jesus and you're claiming to be a follower, that means you're claiming that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Not just your friend, but your Lord. The Lord of your life is the one who makes the decisions for your life. So if you and I are making all the decisions for our lives, we have not placed God in that lordship position. We've placed ourselves. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just talking to you because we struggle with this all the time. I got to move on. I got to keep going. What's amazing is in order to do this, in order, and I'm serious, this will change your life. In order to experience God in the middle of your day, when your feelings are not ramped up, when you're not here on a Monday, when you're not at camp, all these kind of things, these Christian highs, in order to experience God in the middle of your day, in order to experience God in places where people don't popularly experience God, in order to truly be aware of his presence, in order to trust God in the valleys just as much as the mountains, it requires, it calls for something. You know what it is? You know what it calls for? If you really, I'm drawing this out for a reason, you really want God to be involved in your decision-making, in your daily life, to be involved in, your, in everything that you have going on, it calls for faith. It calls for faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, <clears throat> since the one who draws near to him must believe <clears throat> excuse me, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Not only that, but number two, Patience is not idleness. If you're taking notes, not only, number one, patience, it shows dependence, but number two, patience is not idleness. Right here he says, and if you're looking at verse 7, you can look at the second part of that. After he tells them to be patient, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, <laughs> laziness is a bigger issue in the church today than most of us are willing to admit. And Disney Plus has made it harder. I understand. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I get it. It's hard. It's easy to stay in the house on Fridays because of Disney Plus. I understand. But James uses an illustration. Now, I'm not country, okay? I don't, I've never been, I don't know if I've ever been on a farm, never worked a farm. Jacob Simmons owns one. I don't, I don't have a farm. I don't have a pair of boots. Jacob does. I'm not that country. Maybe you are. I'm not, all right? Grew up city. I don't know the country, but I understand this illustration about a farmer. And what, think about what James is saying, because we spend so much time illustrating this in today's culture, and you know Netflix and Amazon Prime. Think about what James is saying here. I mean, really, don't miss this. This is straight what James is saying to the people of that time, and it applies to you and me. He says that just how a farmer waits patiently for God to grow the fruit. He says, watch this. The farmer waits patiently for God to grow the fruit. In other words, farmers don't sit on their rockers all day just watching the fields. Isn't that so simple, but it's so cool? They don't sit on their rock. It's hard for me to say. I'm so sorry. They're rockers waiting. There it is. That's a tongue twister. For God to grow something. They don't sit there just waiting for something to magically happen. In fact, what they do is they get out and they work. They plant seeds. They literally do their part. They fulfill their responsibility on earth and then trust that God will cause the growth from heaven. I want to say something to you, and this is something that Jasmine said to our team a, a, a few weeks ago. 
Here's where we are in our generation. I'm going to put it very honestly. I don't want you to be mad at me, but here's reality. A lot of us are sitting around waiting for God to grow something that we never planted. Meaning, I'll say it another way. We want God to do something we're not willing to pray for or work for. We're sitting around waiting for God to grow something that we never planted. We're wanting God to come through for us in a way that we haven't relied on him yet. You know, when the farmer goes out and plants those seeds and does that work, he's relying on God for the growth. He's done his part. He showed his faith. He showed his faith that rain will come. And you know what? When you do your part, when you plant your seeds with your lost family members, when you share the gospel with coworkers, when you get up in the mornings when you don't feel like it and read the word, you are doing your part and trusting that God will come through and send rain. In other words, that God's spirit will come through and cause growth in you, around you, in your life, and in the people in your life. A lot of us, though, are sitting around waiting for God to do this. I want to say most of the times our prayers are this. God, reveal to me the person I'm supposed to marry. We pray just like that. God, reveal to me my life's calling. Reveal to me my life's purpose. I know that I'm called to glorify the Lord. I know I'm called to extend his kingdom. But God, show me what church I'm supposed to work at. God, show me where I'm supposed to go this summer. God, show me what you want me to do. Show me your calling. Show me your calling. Show me your calling. We spend all, we waste away our four years of college obsessed with our calling, not realizing that college was our calling. Most of the times when we're obsessed with our calling, We don't have clarity on our calling because we're missing something with the commands of God. In order to even understand the calling of God, you have to first be obeying the commands of God. And I want to tell you something. If you're praying about going overseas to share the gospel with people in another nation, but you're not sharing the gospel right here in Memphis, what are we doing? (laughs) The first time I ever went to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, I sat down with a pastor and he asked me, are you sharing the gospel in Memphis? You know why? Why? What's the point in traveling 3,000 miles to share the gospel if I can't share it with the person right next door to me? (laughs) What, so I can go on the trip and take a picture and get the clout? (laughs) So I can take the picture with the kids on the mission trip and look like I'm serving the Lord, but I come right back here to Memphis. I'm not dogging mission trips. Mission trips are vitally important. Do not hear that. But what I'm saying is if we're not sharing the gospel here, I think we're missing God's call right here because we're obsessed with God's call. Big picture. (laughs) What's the point? I'll tell you another one. The spouse that you so desperately want, the spouse you want to marry one day, who you want to be patient and you want to be gentle and you want to be a support and you want to love you and you want them to have all this godliness in them and you want them to be the right person. I want to ask you something. In the meantime, are you allowing God to first grow and cultivate all of those things in you? Because I, my wife told me to share stuff like this. Here it is. I was 22 years old praying to get married, praying to have a girlfriend. I got saved. I came into the church. Never in my life have I heard so many people talk about getting married. The world doesn't talk like that. When I was lost, everybody said, I'm getting married by 32. You come into the church, and it's like, if you're not married by 23, I don't know what happened to you. (laughs) Something went wrong. (laughs) Like, that's Christian culture, guys. And Christian culture didn't die on the cross for your sins. Jesus did. Jeez, man. Goodness gracious. Too many times we worship Christian culture. Because Christian culture says without saying it, that you should be married by 23 or 24, does not mean it's right. Go find that in scripture. You won't. And what I realized is I was praying for somebody to date with all these traits that I wasn't letting God grow inside of me. I want somebody to be a support system and godly and memorize scripture. 
But am I memorizing scripture? Am I being godly? Am I laying my sin before the Lord first, right? You with me? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. When you allow God to cultivate those things inside of you, then all of a sudden you begin to receive big picture. If you want to know God's call for your life tomorrow, it begins by obeying the call he has given you today. And the call he has given you today is to obey, which means when you do go to your college classes, share the gospel. Make disciples. I've got to keep moving. Love the people around you as much as you can. And one big issue, if I can be honest here, doing pretty good on time. I'm going to, try, I'm going to have to speed through this last part. Well, one big issue, because I want to be respectful of your time, and I know I don't always do that well. But one big issue in our culture today, and I've got to go quick. We're going to apply this to do not disturb. Is that we're very, very idle. We're very lazy. And we take the shortcut when it comes. I mean, hear me out on this. We take the shortcut when it comes to our approval. Hear me out on this. We seek the approval from what is quick and immediate and not from the Lord. Here's what happens. We get into this routine in our life where we're going through our days and then something happens in your day, a low moment, a moment of insecurity creeps into your heart. You don't know where it came from. You ever been there? A moment of insecurity running around your mind, a, mo- a lie going around your mind. I'll tell you where it came from. It's the enemy. It's your flesh. You experience a low moment, an insecurity about yourself, a doubt about yourself. You experience a weakness about yourself. You have a weak moment. Here's what we often do. In that moment when that insecurity creeps in, when we feel like we don't have worth, when we feel like we don't have value, when we feel like we got to prove ourselves, when that creeps in, you have two options. You either turn to the word or you turn to the world. You either turn to scripture or you turn to people. You have that choice every day. Even watch tonight when you leave the view, maybe even here. When you have that low moment, when that moment of weakness hits you, when that sin creeps in, you're going to have the option to turn to God or turn to the world. You're going to have that option. And what we do is we turn to the world, and here's why. It's quick, it's easy, it's immediate. We get into this bad habit. Social media, our series is Do Not Disturb. God bless you. As soon as that moment of weakness comes on us, we open social media, or we send a text, or we call somebody. And what we do subconsciously, every time we get low, is we run to the world and we get that hit. And you know what that hit is. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When somebody affirms you, when somebody gives you a compliment, when somebody tells you exactly what you wanted to hear, you get that hit. It's like drugs. Boom. You get that dopamine. It hits you. And you start feeling okay again. But what happens is, guys, is that that doesn't last. Does it ever? It's the same thing with pornography. It's not in my notes, but it is what it is. Same thing happens with pornography. A weakness creeps in. You choose to sinfully meet that need by pornography, but it never lasts. You always need another hit. It's like a drug. Sin, the approval of man is the same way because it's never enough. So you keep going back to your phone, you keep going back to those people, and you get weaker and weaker, and you become more reliant on your flesh. And what happens is what you don't even realize is an addiction to the approval of man or woman has formed. And you can't shake it. You can't get rid of it because it sits on you so heavy. Here's what's incredible. When you decide in your life to turn away from all that garbage and turn away from all that junk, if you make the conscious decision to say, in my lowest moments, I'm going to turn to God. Because in the end, whoever you turn to at your lowest moment, that is your God. So when you have that low moment, when sin creeps in, if you would turn to God, if you would turn to Scripture and say, I'm not going to buy the lie that Satan is offering me. I'm going to buy the truth that God has offered me in Scripture. If you would start finding your affirmation 
and your worth and your value and your identity and who you are right here in Scripture, your life would radically change. You know why? Because whatever the world offers you, it's always going to come back insufficient. But every single time God gives you what you need, it is exactly sufficient. God is never short on what you need. And if you would put this discipline in play in your life, where you're not turning to the world for affirmation, you're not turning to the world for comparison, you're not turning to people in your life for them to be your main source of affirmation. It's great for people to encourage you, but they can't be your main source of affirmation. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, Jesus Christ has to be your only number one. No other. He doesn't compete. And I'm glad that God is a jealous God. I'm glad that God will not let us have idols in our life. If my wife was okay with me having another woman, I'd be a little worried and, and fearful if she really loved me. Aren't you glad that God is not willing to share you with any other lowercase g God? <laughs> I am. This shows he really does love me. He loves you. And he's not going to share you. So when you come to him, he will meet all of your needs. Because if he didn't, that'd mean there was somebody else out there you'd have to go to. But when you come to him, he meets everything you need. Isn't that incredible? Now, we're a Monday night ministry. We do our worship services, and then you go home, and you wake up on Tuesday morning. You know as well as I do. All this I say on Monday night is real fun and, and good and, yeah, amen, and life-changing, all that stuff that we, that we get from God's word. But how do you apply it Tuesday morning? How do you take tonight and let it change your life tomorrow? Not just to feel good tonight or a dose of truth tonight. The last thing, very quickly, and we're going to, be done for tonight and land the plane here is number three patience strengthens the heart patience strengthens the heart what's so cool is not only does patience show dependence not only is it not idleness but it strengthens the heart i'm going to invite the band uh, to come back out here for, for to lead us in worship but i want to share with you one thing that i really enjoyed studying yesterday and this morning even for a few moments. I want to ask you one final question. James 5.8 says, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord is coming. You may remember John 14 where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. God does not want your heart to be troubled. I want to ask you something. Have you ever seen God do a miracle in your life because you were patient in prayer? Have you ever experienced that? Because he wants to. Have you ever experienced a miracle in your life because of patient and prayer? What we do a lot is we pray one or two times and then we quit. 90 years ago in America, this is an incredible moment in history for America, and you should know this moment. 90 years ago in America, America was shaken because of patience and prayer. I don't know if you know this or not, but in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of businessmen and if you know the story, you'll understand. A group of businessmen almost 90 years ago decided to gather underneath some trees and pray together. 1934. These businessmen decided to get together and pray. They had all the responsibilities, Elizabeth, on their plate that they could. They had responsibilities just like you and I did, but they chose to pray, to spend their time outside of work praying. And here's what they were praying for. They met in several locations all across the city, um, always outdoors, which I think is so cool because I got saved at a park, and many of you probably have had experiences with the Lord outside. You know, sometimes we got to get outside walls and be 
in nature with the Lord. They prayed all across the city outdoors. And here's what they prayed for in 1934. They prayed for, watch this, revival in their city and in America. Bruce, they prayed that patiently, patiently praying for revival all across the city. And then one day, they decided to change their prayer a little bit and get a little bit more specific. One of the people in the group spoke up and said, oh, I think, what if we tried something different? And they said, what do you mean? They said, what if we prayed even more specifically? He said, what if we prayed for an, for an actual person? So what if we prayed for an evangelist, a preacher of the word, to be raised up in America that would reach more people than we could ever imagine? And so what they did is they went to this farm, and this farm is incredible. It belonged to a man named Frank Graham. And they were praying at this farm, and Frank Graham was a part of their prayer group. And at this farm on this day in 1934, they began to pray for an anointed preacher of the word. They prayed patiently. They prayed their hearts out. They wanted so desperately to see revival. Do we live in a generation that so desperately wants revival? They prayed, and they were willing to wait on God to answer that prayer. Are you willing to pray and wait on God to answer that prayer? They kept praying. They kept praying. They kept praying. God, raise up an evangelist. God, raise up a preacher of the word. Raise up somebody who will reach more people than we can imagine so that your name will be glorified. And what was amazing is they didn't realize it in 1934. They had no idea. But at that farm, at that very moment, as they prayed, there was a 15-year-old boy inside the barn doing his chores, his after-school chores. (laughs) And as they prayed for an evangelist, a preacher of the word to reach America, Inside that barn was a 15-year-old boy named Billy Graham, the son of Frank Graham. And they had no idea while praying at this farm for a preacher to reach millions that the answer to that prayer from God was right there in the barn the whole time. Because Billy Graham, when he grew up, God called him to preach. 2.2 billion people heard Billy Graham preach. 2.2 billion people heard Billy Graham preach. Billy Graham preached to 185 different nations. Some boy from Charlotte, North Carolina. And not just that, one of the most amazing statistics I read about his life is that his ministry led two million people to give their life to Jesus Christ. Is that not incredible? Let's make some noise for that tonight. Is that not incredible? Jordan, all because those businessmen had faith to pray and then keep praying. This was their concept. What if we pray? What if we pray specifically? And then what if we don't give up praying? What would God do? They saw a miracle. They experienced a miracle. What if you were to stay patient? What if you were to pray and say, I'm going to pray specifically and I'm going to pray and not give up. I'm done with a life where I pray one prayer and my lack of patience causes me to give up on God, what could you experience happen in your life that would change your family, your siblings, your friends, you, your college? If you were willing to grab hold of the Lord in prayer and in patience say, God, I'm not gonna let go until you do what I know you want to do from heaven right here on this earth. A lot of us don't believe in the miracles of God simply because we've never been willing to wait for one. 